0: Good morning, Austin, and welcome to a new show here at KVRX 91.7 FM. My name is Henry Corwin, Jake Movsevitz to my left. Jake, how we doing, bro? Doing great, Henry. Glad to be here. I am super glad. I cannot wait to get started. The name of the show is Anything Goes because, quite frankly, on this show, as Jake, as you know anything goes we are a sports talk show we talk mostly nba with some texas sports and of course we'll dabble in other sports across the country such as baseball and football jake and i are both freshmen in the actually well jake i'll let you introduce yourself
1: Uh, i'm jake i'm from atlanta and i'm a freshman in the moody college of communication here at ut
0: and my name is henry corwin i am from long island new york I am a freshman in the journalism school here at the Moody College of Communications. So with that being said, Jake, you ready to just jump right in? Uh, More than ready, Henry. All right, so let's jump right in. We'll talk first about the NBA All-Star Weekend. Was this past weekend we had the Skills Challenge, the dunk contest, and the three-point contest. The Skills Challenge. Uh, champion uh, the winner of the skills challenge was Spencer Dinwiddie of the Brooklyn Nets the three point shooting contest was won by Suns guard Devin Booker who had a record 28 points and rookie Donovan Mitchell took home the slam dunk contest. So, Jake, let me ask you, was there anything from the All-Star weekend that stood out to you or that you were impressed by?
1: Well, first things first, Henry, I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a name that everyone needs to keep on their radar. He was not a highly touted prospect coming out of college, being the eighth pick in the second round out of Colorado Boulder, but with D'Angelo Russell's injury earlier in the season, he's really stepped up and shown that he is a solid starting point guard in the NBA averaging 13 points and 6 assists per game. He's also six six, which allows him to defend uh, larger guards on the perimeter and on the inside. And although his field goal percentage has been pretty low, uh, the Nets have been known to be pretty solid at developing players. So I think that will only go up and it will only get better from here.
0: Uh, I, I certainly agree. And with D'Angelo Russell and Jeremy Lin out, he's really going to have some time to uh, really get an opportunity to show what he's capable of. Uh, moving on, so – Devin Booker with a three-point uh, record of 28 points. Let me just give my take on this. First of all, it was an outstanding performance by Devin Booker. I'm not super impressed by the record, as you know. As you NBA fans know who pay attention closely, the format of the three-point contest has changed what um, Changed a few years ago. Um, now there is now a money ball rack in which each ball is worth two points in addition to the last ball on the other four racks being worth two points. So back before um, this new update in the scoring system, it was almost impossible for someone to achieve a 28. So like I said, Devin Booker like great performance, but the 28 points I think is a – is a little bit misleading as to how well he shot the ball, even though he did shoot it well. Jake, what do you say?
1: It still is impressive, though, because, like you said, it has been this way for a couple years now. So he has outperformed uh, players in the past, such as Paul George, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, who have been in uh, years past three-points competitions. But uh, really no surprise that he takes this one home. I think he's one of the best pure shooters in the NBA. And he's used to doing it uh, while heavily guarded, obviously, being one of the only marquee players in the Suns. So when these shots are wide open, like they are in the three-point competition, I think it's pretty easy for him to, you know, make one after the other after the other.
0: I mean, yeah, that is a that is a great point. You know, as we all know, Devin Booker last season put up a staggering 70 points against the Boston Celtics. It wasn't a loss, but, you know, like you said, with him being – with the Suns really in some, some turmoil right now, uh, with him being one of the only guys who can really um, – create his own shot and uh, put the ball in the hole. Uh, Obviously, he's a very impressive young player.
1: Uh, I agree with that as well. Also, I think we'd be remiss not to talk about this year's dunk contest, uh, which was pretty much another dud in my opinion. Uh, There was some uh, creativity put into the dunks, obviously with Donovan Mitchell's Vince Carter rendition and also uh, Larry Nance emulating his father's famous dunk. But I think overall the dunk contest just fell flat again, and I think it's kind of a testament to who they're choosing as the judges. Uh, The players are getting 48s, 49s, and 50s for dunks where they missed the previous two attempts. And I think that in order to restore the dunk contest to what we all know it should be, I think the judges need to start giving out tougher scores to make the players increase their level of competition.
0: Yeah, I think that is a great point. Uh, obviously, I am, I'm someone who believes that a player should never get a 50 when, if they miss a dunk yeah, unless, I they, unless they do a different dunk because the element of surprise is gone, and I think that is the main contributor to why dunks are so impressive. For me, Jake, you see, I feel spoiled because nothing – I can't think of much that anything that's going to top that Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine – contest a couple years ago, I mean, Aaron Go- I mean, Aaron Gordon took a seat in midair, and he did not even win the dunk contest.
1: Well, I think the thing about that dunk contest was, for Aaron Gordon, obviously, he put in more effort than we've seen in probably a decade from any player in the dunk contest, whereas Zach Levine, it's just so effortless for him. So it was a mixture of Aaron Gordon's just putting in all of his effort, and obviously Zach Levine, is, when he's healthy, is probably the greatest dunker on earth right now. So that combination just created pretty much a magical dunk contest which is hard to capture in every you know every year's competition.
0: Yeah, no, and I agree and I think it's it's kind of upsetting that Aaron Gordon, you know, last year he was in the contest but he was hurt so he couldn't perform at his top level and this year he was hurt and couldn't perform at all and I don't think he'll be in the dunk contest. I would be surprised if he decides to enter it uh, anymore. He might be done for his career. So with that being said, Jake, you want to move on to your your famous what, what will be famous? Famous Jake's take?
1: Uh, yes, this is the first uh, episode of Jake's take. And today's take is that the Cavs are not only the team to beat in the East coming out of the All-Star break. I think that the Cavs are currently the best team in the league. And Ooh. I think it's important to look at the wow. numbers here. Obviously, they made a major trade uh, on the day of the deadline. The Cavs sent Isaiah Thomas and Shanning Fry to the Lakers, Jay Crowder and Derrick Rose to the Utah Jazz, Amon Schumper to the Kings, and obviously Dwayne Wade back home to the Miami Heat. And in exchange, they received Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr., George Hill, and Rodney Hood. Um, Not only are they close to Golden State, I think that Golden State should be fearing the Cavaliers. I think it's important to take a look at the numbers. Post the trade, LeBron is averaging over 30 points per game. Nine assists, eight rebounds. He's shooting 54% from the field and 41% from the three-point line. Not only does this show up in the box score, I think if you watch the game, you can tell that he's a lot more rejuvenated. I think this carried over into the All-Star game where he obviously had the All-Star game MVP because he had a near triple-double. But the role players, I think, are the key acquisitions here. Rodney Hood is averaging... 14.5 points per game in just 21 minutes for the Cavaliers, and he was ridiculed for his inconsistency in Utah but clearly has not been the case in Cleveland, shooting over 50% from the field and 50% from three, and they're plus 22 when he's on the court. He's also a great perimeter defender, shoots a three-ball well, which means he's going to fit perfectly aside LeBron James. J.R. Smith has also seen the biggest rejuvenation in his numbers post the trade. His points are up to 16.5. Points per game post-to-trade, which is plus eight on his season average. He's averaging six rebounds and six assists from uh, since the trade and uh, staggering 73% from the field. That is nuts. 70% from three, and he's taken 13 attempts, and all of these are like, plus 30% from what he was averaging before the trade. And I think the biggest difference in this team is the George Hill versus Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, George Hill is not a player that's going to get box score stats, but he has a plus 15 net rating since joining the Cavs, which means they're just completely outperforming their opponent when he's on the court. He's a great perimeter defender. He's extremely unselfish. And I think the key is that he thrives without the ball in his hands, whereas Isaiah Thomas obviously is only effective with the ball in his hands. So with LeBron obviously being the best player in the world and incredibly ball dominant, to have a player like George Hill who can kind of take a step back and step up when he needs to. I think that's really important for this Cavs team going forward. He's also fourth in three-point percentage for players that have taken at least 100 attempts. And obviously, you know, LeBron, players like to play off LeBron because he's going to get them open and easy threes. Whereas Isaiah Thomas, while he was on the court for Cleveland, they were outscored by 132 points over 14 games. So... You know, that's it's yeah. pretty much night and day.
0: All right, well, well, first of all, Jake, for, um, great numbers there. First of all, thank you for saying LeBron James is the greatest player in the world. Let's make that clear right now at our first show. LeBron James is the best basketball player on the planet. Um, personally, I'm a big LeBron guy.
1: And I think when you put the right pieces around him, they can be pretty unstoppable. They're also now playing defense again, which
0: is. You know, yeah. pretty important. Um, absolutely. Um, your point to J.R. Smith, first of all, no one knows J.R. Smith better than myself. He was the sixth man on the New York Knicks. Um, obviously, can be great at times, very inconsistent. I think I mean I think when he's on, he can be I mean, when they won the championship in two thousand sixteen, LeBron went to the press conference afterwards and he made a great point saying that J.R. Smith turned himself into a two-way player. Obviously, he's a little bit... Obviously, he's inconsistent. But, Jake, here's what I have struggled with. And I want to believe you're right because I am a big LeBron guy, as you know. And when LeBron James won that championship for, State of Cleveland, that was one of my favorite sports moments. But here's the deal, okay? Let's go back to the 2016 NBA Finals. The Golden State Warriors had no Kevin Durant, so they had Steph and Clay as their main two guys with Draymond as the third. Steph did not have a great series that series. Kyrie had an outstanding series. LeBron had an outstanding series. Draymond Green was suspended for a game, and still they be- it was came down to one shot for them to win the title. Last year, with LeBron having Kyrie Irving and obviously Golden State and Kevin Durant, I think this series was closer than most people say because if KD doesn't make that shot over LeBron in Game 3, then we could have had a 2-2 series going yeah, back to Golden State. Yeah, I think a lot State. of
1: things went Golden State's way in last year's series.
0: Yeah, I would... Yeah, well, they yeah. They were
1: for sure the better team,
0: though, last year. Right. So, basically, my bottom line, Jake, is what I struggle with is if, if Kyrie and LeBron together, who may before the emergence of Giannis, in my opinion, would maybe be the two best players in the East. If they can only take Golden State 5, you really think LeBron with with Jordan Clarkson and and George Hill are going to find a way to get past Golden State?
1: Well, I think there's two things that need to be kept in mind here. The first is that that was obviously uh, a team with more star power. But if you look at the way they work as a team, I think this team is much better suited to take on Golden State in a seven-game series. Obviously, the team last year basically rested on the backs of LeBron and Kyrie. It was more of a your turn versus my your turn. My turn. Uh, style of offense, and they weren't really playing any defense. So against the Warriors, which is a star-studded roster, A, B, they play great basketball, they move the ball, they have a great team system, that's going to completely overwhelm uh, your turn versus my turn between LeBron and Kyrie. But this year, the Cavs are playing like a team again, and LeBron looks rejuvenated. Their role players are hitting shots. They've moved Tristan Thompson back in the starting lineup, which I think is great for defensive purposes. The second thing that needs to be kept in mind is what I touched on earlier. The Cavs team last year got burned. And transition defense. They were playing absolutely no no defense uh, in fast break. They were fouling whenever Steph would cross half court in the fast break. They would just foul him, which would give him easy points, or they would find a transition three. I think this team is much better suited to uh, lock up, lock up the Cavs. I think George Hill is a great perimeter defender. Obviously, no one's stopping Steph, but I think he can contain him when Jr. is engaged. I think he can hang on clay just due to the sheer athleticism. With Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench. I mean, these guys are no scrubs. Then you have LeBron on Durant, and we know LeBron if he wants to. He can shut down any player in the world, in my opinion. And then at the four, uh, I don't think that the Cavs are going to be able to start Seti Osman in a final series against the Warriors. I think they would have to move Nance to the four spot. Or um, hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens with Kevin Love but in the injury. But um, And then they have Thompson at the five. Uh, I think that's just a much better – I just think they're much better as a team.
0: All right, well, certainly I I hope you're right, Jake, and I'm I'm glad you brought up I think Tristan Thompson, you know, when they won that championship in 2016, he was a he was a key piece for them. Also, I'm really glad that you brought up the fact how Golden State plays team ball. Let me just let me just say something here because I have many friends at home who like to tell me because you like to tell me that all Golden State does, they come up, they shoot threes, yada, yada, yada. If you really watch Golden State, what makes them so good is not the fact that they just have so much star power and they can shoot the three ball well. They are, they move without the ball all the time. They are basically, they are, what I like to refer to them as, they are the San Antonio Spurs just with more firepower. I mean, really, they move without the ball all the time. That's how they're so good. They're not just good because of their firepower. Their system is incredible.
1: Well, you know, Kerr learned under Popovich, so I think he's implemented that team style of play with pretty much the best roster, you could argue, in NBA history. But their defense, another uh, just to support my earlier point, another thing to take in, uh, keep in mind is that Golden State's defensive rating is uh, worse this year than it was last year. It was uh, 104 true in 2016, 2017, which is very solid, but this year it's up to 107, and obviously the higher the defensive rating, the worse the team is playing defense. So uh, keeping that in mind, Golden State's defense is down, Um, and do you, like, you know, the Cavs are doing all this without Kevin Love.
0: Yeah, that's It's important to see
1: where he fits in the puzzle. He's obviously an upgrade from Seti Osman. Uh, Both aren't very stout on defense, but Love is much better on offense and getting rebounds, so... I think the sky's the limit for this Cavaliers team. And uh, the Rockets, too, out west. They could, the, the Warriors have been sweeping teams, getting to the finals, not very tired once they get there. They have a lot of rest. I think the Rockets could take the Warriors to seven games, and you never know what could happen in the finals.
0: Okay, well, well, having, with you having said that, let's move on to the next question. Who do you think is more likely to not make it out of their respective conference, Cleveland or Golden State?
1: Uh, that's tough. I would say, I think I'm going to shock people here and say I think Golden State is less likely to make it out of their conference. I think that one thing that has helped the Warriors' dynasty is health. I mean, we haven't seen one of their marquee players go down at a crucial time, and that's obviously allowed them to win uh, championships. I think that this year, if they lose one player, think about if Steph goes down or Clay goes down or, uh, God forbid, Durant goes down. The entire landscape of their team changes, and do they now have enough firepower to beat the Rockets? You know, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, no, that that's a great point. You're right. This team, this team is young. They're all in their primes, and they and they don't get injured. Well, they do get injured often. Um, between Steph and KD, have had some injuries in their career, but um, thank God for them, they have not gotten injured at the crucial times. While There have been years like 2015 finals where it was the opposite, where Cleveland had to deal with Kyrie and Kevin Love both being down and LeBron the King still took him to six games. Um, With that, let's move on to, should we do Henry's Hard Facts? Does that that sound good? Yeah, give it to him. All right, Henry's Hard Facts. This is the point of show where I just spit you some cold hard facts because there's nothing I love more than giving you guys some information. Alright, so about this year's NBA All-Star Game, the final score of this year's game was 148 to 145. It was the first time that the All-Star Game was not East versus West since the first NBA All-Star game in 1951. Last year's final score of 192 to 182 was a whopping 81 more points combined than this year's game. Also the 26 combined fouls in this year's all-star game was 10 more than last year's game of 16 and the biggest stat of the night. In last year's game, both teams combined sh- both teams combined to shoot 57.8% from the field. Do you know what this year's percentage was? 48.1%. That's under 50%. That's a 9.7% difference. So obviously the defense has there's not going to be as much defense in an all-star game obviously as a regular season game but there is much more defense than past all-star games jake how do you feel about the competition level in this all-star game do you think the competition level is back
1: well i don't want to say it's necessarily back but obviously this was a great step in the right direction i think introducing captains was a great idea by adam silver because the players almost take it personally when they win or lose additionally there was a huge charity incentive. I think the winners got 100000 to the cho- charity of their choice, whereas the losers only got 25000 to the charity of their choice, which you know, these guys are charitable, good people. They're obviously going to play uh, hard if they know that's on the line. I think that the game started off pretty sloppy, like we're used to seeing in years past, but the co- competition and the competitive net- competitiveness level really surprised me throughout the second, third, and fourth quarters, and obviously the fourth quarter was both teams were playing as hard as they possibly could, and that last possession looked like they were. It looked like a real game, in my they were opinion. For like a championship. You know, you saw LeBron; he looked the real after they won the game. I thought it was cool to see. And next year, obviously, they're gonna they're gonna air the All Star Draft. So I think the the game's only getting better. I I think that they need to now focus on improving the entire weekend because I think they've. Uh, unlock the formula to having a good all-star game
0: is that is that official that they're that they're in the all-star draft
1: oh uh, yeah silver said really? that it looked like they're gonna do wow, it wow yeah.
0: that is news to me well that certainly should be very interesting and yeah I, I agree with you i mean that that game to me was awesome i mean the coming down the stretch these guys the, the how much it looked like they cared just for an all-star game i mean the comp the the competition level, the fact that they could really go back to why pe- people want to play basketball in the first place just because of the competition aspect, I mean, that's what us fans want to see. And I was I was so thrilled to see how it went down the last few minutes.
1: Also, it's easy to look at the final score and be like, "Ah, eh, there was no defense played 148 to 145. You never see that in a regular season game. But you need to remember that these are the best players in the world. So they're obviously making a lot more shots than <laughs> – you know, the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th man on your average NBA team. So yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the level of competition was pretty much where it needed to be. They get the highlight plays out early, and then the rest of the game picks up, and it's good competition between the best players in the world, which you really can't ask for anything else if you're an NBA fan.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And listen, I, I don't think any NBA fan should be expecting the level of defense in an All-Star game to ever be the same as a a regular season game because I, I, think, I think the fans do like – um, some degree of alley-oops and long-range threes, um, you know, in the first first half, first first quarter maybe. But I do love the idea. See, in all the other past All-Star games, I just wanted the game to be close in the fourth quarter, and it never was. And the fact that it was close in this fourth quarter and how much the guys really played, uh, I, thought it, I thought it was great, Jake.
1: I agree with that. All right, let's move on and change the landscape a little bit, talk about college hoops. Uh do you think that UT basketball will make the tournament, and if so, how far do they go?
0: All right, so to answer your question, how far will they go? Obviously, any team that makes the tournament, I think, I think any team that gets past the first round, theoretically, has a chance to win the whole thing. My ceiling for this men's team, if they make the tournament, is honestly, I, think if they get, I expect them to get past the first round, and that's about it. Now... The thing with this UT men's team is that they consistently—not no, consistent—they well, they've beaten the teams they're not supposed to beat, and they've lost the teams they're supposed to beat. They beat Oklahoma twice. They have held Trey Young, Trey Young, in his first game. They held him to two of fourteen from three. In the second game, they hold him to seven of twenty-one from the field. In Oklahoma. They've done a great job containing this guy. But why is it that they just can't seem to win the games they're supposed to win?
1: Yeah, I think that's been a Question mark for Texas basketball all season. Currently, Joe Lunardi has them included as the last four teams to make the tournament, but obviously uh, big games coming up at Kansas State, then we have home versus Oklahoma State, then we have at Kansas, and then we're home versus West Virginia. So some pretty tough competition to round out the season. I think if we can get two of those four games, uh, I think they'll make the tournament, but uh, I agree with you, Henry. I think that the sky is the limit for this team once they get in the tournament. Just looking at pure talent level across the roster, I think they can compete with anyone. We saw that at the beginning of the year when they had a double-digit lead on Duke. It's just the ability to hold leads and win the easy ones has just eluded this team all season, which is is pretty disappointing. But you know, basketball, especially college basketball, is all about peaking at the right time. And I think if this team gets into the tournament. We could see them peaking at the right time, which would be really exciting for Longhorn fans. Well,
0: yeah. No, I'm sure Longhorn fans are definitely going to be hoping that. As you said, they they probably need to win two of four games to make the tournament. And theoretically, they should. With, with the schedule they have, they should win two, at least two of those four games. Especially because that Oklahoma win was a very huge win. But, I mean... If this team, they just they just got to take care of business. When and they're supposed now with
1: to. Oklahoma seemingly imploding, you know that win looks a little bit less impressive. I think that if we can get that home game against West Virginia, I think if we can win the two home games, uh, we'll be sitting pretty. Obviously, West Virginia is a very good team. Uh, the Big 12 this year has looked pretty strong all around. So if we can finish near 500 in the con- uh, in the conference and win at least a game or two in the Big 12 tournament, then I think we'll be. Uh, probably a 12 seed in March Madness and, you know, who knows once that
0: happens. Well, yeah, no, you're right. It would definitely be exciting for for Longhorn fans, um, especially with the the, um, caliber of a player like Mo Bamba. uh, How much press or publicity he's al- he's already getting and just think about if this Longhorn team does well I mean he's going to be a-, a nationwide celebrity not just one here on the, the Texas campus.
1: Exactly and we've already seen uh, pretty solid levels of mat- uh, maturation from Bamba. The tough loss against Baylor uh, instead of coming out and sulking against OU Bamba <laughs> grabbed 18 rebounds and pretty much controlled the glass all game which shows that you know when they can play mad and when they can play angry and when they can play focus uh Mo Bamba and the rest of the team can really get the job done. We just need to see that level of intensity and level of firepower uh, in every game, honestly. Yeah. But, but before we sign off, uh, let's address the fan question of this week. We have Adam from Chicago asks who is more worthy of the NBA MVP: uh, Giannis, James Harden, or LeBron James? Henry, I'll let you go first.
0: Okay, so I hate to be the guy who who says LeBron. I don't want to give it to LeBron. I feel like I, you can't give it to LeBron because, in me being completely objective, you know, with the way the Cavs um, went into complete complete turmoil this year, and I know a lot of people think this this statistic is not is not a great way to judge players, but I th- I think it is a good way. I, this plus minus um, obviously was was dead last in the league for a, a two week stretch with um, with this Cleveland's old roster featuring Isaiah, J. Crowder. Giannis, obviously he's playing exceptional, but he's in the weaker Eastern Conference compared to James Harden, and the Bucks still are not as good a team as the Houston Rockets. Houston Rockets right now own the best record in the NBA. So to answer your question, I'm going to say James Harden. I would love to see him give it to James Harden. He came in second um, two of the past three years in the MVP voting, and in year 2015, I'm a huge Steph Curry fan, but I think he got robbed a little bit the year. Steph Curry won his first MVP. I think James Harden should have won it that year. As as happy I was to see Curry win it. Uh, Jake, what do you think?
1: Uh, Henry, I actually agree with you. I think that turmoil definitely has to come into play. I know it's not really something that can be tangibly measured, but it's definitely important to look at. LeBron James, um, pre-trade, that team was a disaster, and – Obviously, you know they've been back for two games, but the MVP is a full-season award. Giannis also falls into that turmoil category with head coach Jason Kidd being fired at the at the uh, actually towards the middle of the season, which was just a couple weeks ago, which means that the owners think the team is underperforming. So why would you give the MVP to a player that the own owners think uh, has his team underperforming? James Harden is the best player on the best team in the league. He leads the league in scoring with 31.3 points per game, which is almost four points above the person in second place. He's second in the league in assists, and as we know, uh, when he's on the court, the Rockets are a much better team. They've done a lot of this without Chris Paul, too, which is uh, one of the best point guards in the league. I think it's very clear that this award goes to James Harden. Even though he was hurt uh, for a period of time, I think it would be uh Highway robbery not to give it to him this year.
0: Yeah, well, good thing we can sign off on something we 100% agree on. Anything Goes is the name of the show. Jake, this was so much fun. First show. How'd you feel?
1: I feel good about it. I'm excited for next week.
0: All right, I am super excited. KVRX 91.7 FM. Jake and Henry signing off. See you later, Austin.
1: Then there's the utter misery that is college radio. Where they apparently just let any bewildered freshman wander into the booth and try to run a radio station.